0: Welcome to On The Prowl. Hi everybody, welcome to On The Prowl. I'm Robert Roden. And I'm Rami Johnson. Today on this episode we have Gary Paris with us from 92.9 ESPN.
1: Woo! Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. How you guys doing?
0: Good, how are you?
1: I'm hanging in there. I, uh, you know, obviously we're living during a pandemic and we're, uh, dealing with other issues in our country so uh, you know a lot a lot of wild things happening but I'm uh, relatively speaking I, I got no complaints.
0: What kept you busy during this pandemic?
1: My kids jeez, um, <laughs> I'm not used to to be at home this much. Uh, I, I flew home um, on that Wednesday morning the same morning that Rudy Gobert tested positive for the coronavirus, that night the NBA was suspended, mm-hmm. and the next day the NCAA tournament was canceled. Under normal circumstances, and I was in Washington D.C. for those uh, the three days prior, mm-hmm. I would have flown home on that Wednesday, then flew back to New York on Friday, and then would have been bouncing around the entire month and you know just living a normal life. I haven't been, uh, you know, I haven't been back out of town since I got home from Washington DC which is more than three months now obviously you know I've got three kids my oldest is is around your guys age he's a he'll be a senior at Lausanne next year and then we got a six-year-old and a three-year-old as well and the little dudes have worn us out like usually (laughs) they're in school or at least we have help here to help us uh, juggle everything because my wife's a a store owner so she's got a lot going on but um, obviously because of the pandemic we haven't allowed help into our home so it's uh it's been exhausting I will tell you one thing I learned over the past three months is that it's a lot easier to work uh, a lot than it is to be a a, what amounts to a stay-at-home father especially when you're trying to work while you're a stay-at-home father it's been it's been challenging good good times but challenging
2: yeah it's definitely a A load of fun, but a load of exhaustion at the same time.
1: There's no question. Let me ask you guys. So yeah. your school just yeah. abruptly started. I mean, just abruptly stopped for you. How was that for you guys? I imagine it was difficult. It was difficult for my son.
0: Yeah, it was very hard. So we didn't know if like teachers were going to give us like exams to do on the computer or homework or work. It was yeah. just difficult.
1: Yeah, my my son had uh had school every day and it was just but it lacked structure. You know, he's yeah. sitting in his room as opposed to getting up and seeing people in person. So it it was challenging, but uh he got through it, you guys got through it. Yeah. So now you're off to college. Tell me, where are you going to college?
0: I'm going to Southwest.
1: I'm going to U of M. Okay? And you're going to U of M. Cool. Yeah. I went to I went to Memphis. That's where I graduated from. So you'll have a good time there. Thank you. Well, I'm
0: gonna be doing sports media.
1: Awesome. Yep. Uh yeah, I mean you know that obviously when I went to college that's what I majored in was was journalism right and it was so long ago I graduated college in 99 like <laughs> what year were you guys born I was oh two okay. Okay. okay so I was out of uh I was out of college by the time you guys were born and uh back then people didn't have jobs like I have you know like my, my job is you know I I I was a writer who became a radio host, who became a television analyst, who became Mm -hmm. a podcast host, who became a sideline reporter. So back then, people like me didn't really exist. So when I went to college, they would just tell you, you know, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a writer or do you want to be on TV or do you want to be on radio? The idea that you could be all three, that wasn't really a thing. So um, everything's changed so drastically that you know, if you guys are going to try to to get into the profession, you you got to learn everything. I mean, you got to be able to write. You got to be able to be on television. You got to be able to to do what you're doing right here and radio. Like it's a, you got to have a, all of the skills now because, what I've found to be true is that if you're good at any one thing, people are going to ask you to do all of the things. So, right. um, yeah. So like that that that'd be important for both of you to 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 focus on going forward is is try to learn everything you can learn, because it's all going to be valuable to you.
2: That is true. But luckily with this um, new age of technology, it's easier now to be able to learn stuff. Um, So you are obviously a big name, Gary Parish. um, But you obviously got your start as well. So I wanted to ask you if you could tell us about the uh, Albert Means recruiting scandal and how that kind of helped you in your career.
1: Yeah. That was a big thing in my career. I was, I was young at that time, not much older than, than you guys. And Mm -hmm. there'd always been whispers that this incredible football prospect, Albert means who was at Tresman high school at the time. There'd always, always been whispers that, you know, he was bought and paid for by Alabama, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's whispers about that, all that kind of stuff all of the time. You almost never get the actual story. Like for every story you get, there's a hundred that you heard. And so I had heard that for a while and you know I, when i got the story i'll give you the quickest version i can give you i'd been out in la for new year's it was like new year's 2000 i guess and and uh, i got back and i had a sports editor at the time who wanted everybody in the office like he wanted to see your face every day like he, he like he couldn't he couldn't imagine you'd be working if he couldn't see you working so i'm in the office you got to remember at this time i'm, I'm very young 22, 22 straight straight out of college and i'm right. a prep writer right. But everybody's out of school because it's you know it's early January, so there's no basketball games, uh, you know no 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 high school sporting. I don't have anything to do is the point. Yeah. And so I said, you know what? I'll just make some phone calls on this and see. I've got nothing else to do. I'm sitting in this office. I'll just make some phone calls and see if I get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Lynn Lang was the head coach at Tresman at the time, and he had two assistant coaches, and they had both quit after Albert Means left there, which was just unusual. So I called one of them. And he was, you know, just started asking basic questions. He didn't really have anything to say. Called the other one who was working at Sheffield High at the time named Milton Kirk. And okay. he just told the whole story, like almost immediately. And I even went, I, I stopped his conversation on the phone. I said, I'm gonna come see you in person. We sat there at Sheffield High School. He was on the record for all of it. And he, what I later found out is my timing was perfect. Right. He had gotten cut out of the deal. Like the 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 deal was supposed to be something like, I don't know, $250,000, and the two coaches, Milton Kirk and Lynn Lang, would split the money. Okay. Well, Lynn kept all the money, and Milton then got you know got fed up, and he quit, and he left, and so then Albert Means comes back home for Christmas break, mm-hmm. and after his freshman season or during his freshman season in Alabama, and he goes to Milton Kirk, as the story goes, and he says, hey, coach, uh, do you have some money? where, you know, I want to buy my mama a Christmas present. I don't have any money. And Milton said, you need to go ask Coach Lang. He'll be able to help you out. And Albert said, I did ask Coach Lang, and he told me he didn't have any money. And that just infuriated Milton because the guy had literally gotten like, you know, $150,000, dollars from an Alabama booster. Like, how do you not have money to give this young man for a, a Christmas present? So right, that, so right. like, so Milton is fuming, and I just happened to call at the right time. Uh, long story, not so long. I started at that point. You've got the basis of the story, but you got to confirm this stuff. Yeah. And I'm I'm confirming it with Phil Fulmer, who's the Tennessee coach at the time. Houston Nutt, who's the Arkansas coach at the time. And it took uh, probably four or five days from my initial conversations to us actually publishing. And then obviously it it blew up. The fallout from that was pretty significant. Um three men indicted on federal charges oh, wow three okay. head three head football coaches in the SEC uh fired Alabama and Kentucky both put on probation it was um it was a big story for the time. I can't imagine what it would be like in the age of social media yeah but 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 i yeah that that's a big that's a big point in my career where um, I started being presented with opportunities that ultimately led to me you know being whatever it is I am today.
2: It's funny you mentioned that because I was just like, when you were talking, I was just thinking, I wonder how it would go right now. Because like the stuff of like Zion Williamson coming out, like
1: it's not as big as what that is like. Oh, oh, sure. Like, like this was way bigger than, than, I mean, because this was on the record proof it's done. Like this Mm -hmm. is, this happened. And it was the Alabama football program being brought down. And yeah. it was not Zion Williamson, but he was the number one high school defensive prospect in America, you know, during his senior year. So it was a big deal. I, it was it was bigger than I anticipated. I'll tell you this, and again, you you you, you just you don't have a way to gauge how big it is mm-hmm. back in two thousand because you don't have Facebook feedback and Twitter feedback, you don't know how many retweets, none of that stuff existed. Yeah, for sure, but for sure. I I wrote the, I broke the story on that morning and it was on CBS Evening News with Dan Rather that night and that was a pretty big deal like like Zion Williamson's story is not on you know CBS Evening News um, that that it 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 was you know then of course you get the backlash you know death threats um, you know people stalking you uh, you know threatening phone calls I, I ultimately had to move into a secure building in downtown Memphis uh, oh wow that wasn't that was not in my name, didn't have a phone in my name because we didn't want people just randomly being able to find me because, I mean, there was a stretch where I, I had security walking me back and forth to my car at the commercial appeal, you know, just to crazy, just, crazy. To, just, yeah, it was, it was a crazy time. Um, you know, obviously I got through it, but yeah. uh, there was, there was some definitely some moments where you wonder, you know, who's standing around that corner. So
0: Gary, what are your thoughts on Mike Miller stepping down and how will this affect Tiger basketball—it's
1: not good. Um, you know, Mike was a big part of that staff. Obviously, a accomplished recruiter, and more than that, like somebody everybody respects, everybody likes. Like I, I genuinely don't know anybody who doesn't really like Mike Miller. He's an incredible personality. Yep. he's everybody's friend, and so to not have him on that staff is—it's um, it, not ideal. You know, I think Penny will make another good hire, and and they will be fine. But there's not another Mike Miller out there to hire, and I've had a lot of people ask me. You know so what you know what goes into him leaving and i think the simplest answer is that you know I, if he made 93 million dollars playing professional basketball mm-hmm. and when you've done that like being an assistant basketball coach at the collegiate level it's not fun you know it's it's not you're not in the gym all the time like like a, like you might think you would be your, your your job is largely um texting high school players and and, and setting up meetings and, and evaluating and, yeah. uh, you know, FaceTiming. And, it, you know, and when you've got your, and I, I, I'm sure Mike reached a point where he said, okay, I don't need this paycheck. It doesn't appear to be leading to me getting a head coaching job, the, the type that I want. I, I've got a son who's about to be a senior in high school. Why am I spending all my time FaceTiming other people's sons instead of just being with my son? Right. And so um, I, I think that was one of many aspects of, that led to him deciding, you know, let's, let's just step away from this for a little while at least. I do think he'll be back in basketball in some form. He, you know, uh, could end up in the NBA. He could end up back in college basketball. He could end up, you know, as an agent representing players. He's not just going to stay, quote, retired forever or even for long. But I think he just, you know, th- th- being an assistant coach at recruiting at the highest level, it is exhausting, and it can also be incredibly frustrating. Just think, the two players in the class of 2020 that he targeted most mm-hmm. were Jalen Green and Greg Brown. Ultimately, yep. you lose yep. one of them to the G League program. You lose the other one. He just decides to stay home at Texas during a pandemic. I can understand how, if you're Mike, you, go, you reach a point where you go, eh, you know what, I don't, I don't need this. Uh, not right, right now. It made, his stepping away made sense to me. Yeah,
2: I get that for sure.
1: Well, what are your thoughts on the G League program? Uh, we'll see. I don't want to be somebody who just uh, says, oh, it's a disaster before we've even seen what it is exactly. Yeah. But I, I will say, um, I, I, I don't completely understand the NBA's motivation here. You know, what they'll tell you is, on the record or off, is that they would be fine in theory with the best high school prospects going to college. They're fine with that what they didn't want was the best high school prospects going to Australia or China yeah. or Italy, and especially Australia. And I bring that up only because LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton both mm-hmm. went to Australia last year. Well, that's two projected lottery picks. And now you've got to go to Australia to scout them, to evaluate them. Mm-hmm. Like, people don't want to fly all you know around the world to go see a 18 year old basketball player. So they create the G-League program, not necessarily to circumvent college, but to keep the best American prospects in America. Like if they would all go to Duke, Kentucky, Memphis, North Carolina, that'd be fine, but they weren't doing that anymore. Some were like literally going to Australia and that was going to continue to happen. So they said, we'll create this program where we won't necessarily try to get the best players who are planning to go to Kentucky, but we'll get the best players who don't want to go to college and we're gonna to go to Australia if we don't offer them this opportunity. Well, once you get that person who is in, you know, in this year, Jalen Green, well, then the question becomes, okay, who, who's he gonna train with, we need to get other high level prospects here. And that's how they go out and get Isaiah Todd and they go out and get Dasha Nix and, mm-hmm. and they try to surround that person with a comparable talent. Um, it's clearly it's not good for college basketball. I don't think it'll kill college basketball because we went through a a stretch where the best prospects weren't going to college. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Amari Stoudemire. And if you look at college basketball ratings during that time, they were still exactly, you know, they did, they didn't change. If you look at attendance, you know, in, in arenas, they didn't change. Like people who go to Rupp arena to see Kentucky are going to go to Rupp arena to see Kentucky, whether the number one high school prospect in America is in the G league or at Kentucky, like they're going to be there no matter what. So I don't think it hurts college basketball. And I don't necessarily know that it's a bad thing for the NBA, but I will say when you put a player in this program, you are effectively removing them from the public conscious for a year. Like if you just took Zion Williamson out of high school and put him in the G league program, first off, he wouldn't have been the number one overall pick in the draft Mm -hmm. and he would not have been a star when he entered the NBA, like Zion being what he was at Duke made him into one of the most famous basketball players on the planet and an undeniable star before he ever stepped foot in the league. Yeah. Um, You lose that if you go to the G league, because here's the truth about, Big time college basketball, if you go to Duke or Kentucky or a program like that, you're going to be on national television twice a week for yeah. four months. You know, yeah. that, that's a big stage that helps you build your brand. I've always said, Kevin Durant going, you know, going to the NBA draft straight out of high school, he's just a skinny kid from the D.C. area. Nobody would have cared. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, after being the National Player of the Year at Texas, was a star you could sell tickets around and put on billboards. So I do think there's a marketing aspect that that you lose by sending these players to the G League program. But if ultimately it does um, show itself to be an incredible development thing mm-hmm. that allows these players to achieve their goals, then, um, then that's fine too. I, I guess I'd bottom line it this way. I am, I'm, I, I think, preferably, Players would just be able to go straight to the NBA draft at a high school. If you want to go, go. If you don't, go to college. But short of that, I, I'm fine with this. I, I'm never going to be against young people having options. And if nothing else, if, this is, if you were just somebody who's always dreamed of the NBA and has no interest in college whatsoever, well, now there's a, a legitimate in-the-country option for you that allows you to put some money in your pocket and still develop um, in advance of your draft. It, it, it's fine.
0: So is this the G League where, like, teams can call up the player for a game?
1: Yeah, like, the way it was initially reported was that Jalen Green would go to the G League and it's like, is he really going to go play for, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Sioux Falls whatever and, like, yeah. fly around? Because I've been on flights with these G League teams. Um, you know, it's not glamorous. You know, these guys, like, let's say you are a, a basketball player at, at, at Memphis right now. Every time you fly, it's a chartered flight, you know, it's a private flight and you stay in the nicest hotel. And then suddenly you're in the G League and you're, you're on a commercial flight. You're in row 37B and you're having to stop over in Atlanta before you fly to, you know, whatever. Right. And you stay in a crappy hotel with one of your teammates. Like, it's not a fun life. And so I never understood why Jalen Green would want to do that. And what the G league understood is that Jalen Green would not want to do that. So they created what is essentially, you, you got it right. Like an Academy, it'll be based in Southern California mm-hmm. and they'll have just, you know, um, uh, Sam Mitchell, I believe is going to run it. He's okay. obviously former NBA coach of the year, former coach, coach, coach on Penny's staff at Memphis. Right. And so, uh, you know, it'll just be intensive training. They will play a few, uh, exhibitions with g-league teams but they're not going to play a real g-league schedule and it's just mostly you're you're training for the draft as opposed to playing basketball in college in advance of the draft so it'll uh it, it it makes much more sense you know as it is than it did when it was initially reported. And I can understand why it might be an attractive option uh, for a certain type of young person, especially somebody who, again, just didn't want to be in college basketball.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. sense. Well, for you personally, how was your transition like from more of like a local coverage, like around the Memphis area to have having like a national audience being, working with CBS and especially like traveling to New York a lot, like
1: yeah it's um it first it's been great like i'm so lucky to have the opportunities that i have you know i grew right. up i grew up in north mississippi i'm the first college graduate in my family right. uh, i i you know i went to public schools you know i i you know i, I didn't really have any advantages i yeah. i'd like to yeah. i like to use myself as an example for somebody who comes from a similar place like you know you don't necessarily have to have Somebody who can open doors for you if you work hard, and I guess you better have some talent, but hard work can make up for a lot of that. Like I had no advantages; I didn't know anybody, and I still was managed managed to get where where I got. Right. So I'm appreci- I'm appreciative of it, um, but certainly it's uh it's a lot, you know. Like I I have a lot of jobs, and yeah, it, it you know during the season I fly to New York every Monday and fly home every Thursday, and what what happens is. You know, when you're a when you're a local rider, like in a market, you know, you're you gonna do some traveling if you're a beat rider for Memphis basketball like I was before I went to CBS. Right. But but then the rest of the year you're you're at home and even then you're not traveling nonstop during the season. Um, especially in November, December, where we big time programs like Memphis barely play road games at all. But yeah. with my yeah. job, when you're a national guy, then you're gonna be at the big event. So like I'll be at the champions classic to open the season and then I'll be somewhere else. And then maybe North Carolina is hosting Kansas. So I'll be there for that. And you know, a couple of years ago, I went to Maui. That's a long trip to make. And sure. what, what happens is it, it puts, um, you know, it's a, it's a weird way to live. It's a great way to live, but then it puts stress on your family as well. You yeah. know, like my, you know, like my wife becomes a single mom, you know, for, for large portions of, of the calendar. Um, you know, my, you know, you miss things, you know, you, 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 you trade, there's a trade off. Sure. But would I undo any of it? Of course not. Like I really, I really love my jobs and the opportunities I've, um, you know, I've been given, you know, I went from somebody whose dream really was only to like, if I could ever cover Memphis basketball for the commercial appeal, that would be a dream come true. Like I'd be happy to do that. And I, and I, I was doing that by like twenty four years old. Yeah. And the idea that it then morphed into me hosting a radio show in my hometown on an FM signal. That's something I never imagined. Um, to me flying to New York and you know, not just being on T V, but being being on CBS, like being in midtown Manhattan and yeah. and and then, you know, being a studio analyst, but also hosting television shows and and then being a sideline reporter and then you know, podcasts weren't a thing back then, but they became a thing. And, you know, now I've, you know, we've created at CBS, the most listened to college basketball podcast that exists. And um, it's all like, it's all awesome stuff, but it's a lot of stuff. And so it can, it can, it can be overwhelming, but, you know, you try to remind yourself that you're lucky. You're lucky to be overwhelmed. If if that makes any (laughs) sense at all. I'm lucky to be overwhelmed.
0: Well, what got you into sports radio? And when did the Gary Perry show start?
1: um i got into sports radio because i i was uh i was the beat writer at memphis and when you're the beat writer at memphis the people who host radio shows want to have you on as a guest and one of my close friends back then and still to this day was chris vernon Mm -hmm. who uh, hosted the chris vernon show now he's over at grind city midi with the grizzlies but he had a he had a radio show we're around the same age i'm a little older than him but you know, they, they, he had a radio show and he would ask me to come on as a guest and we had good chemistry. We laughed at the same stuff. So then it would turn into, Hey, let's do an hour together. Then it would turn into, Hey, let's do every Wednesday. You just sit with me for three hours. You know, let's, and we, at some point, somebody listening decided, well, maybe Gary Parish could have his own radio show. And so then I did a show with Jeff Hawkins for a couple of years. And then we started the Gary Parish show on ninety two nine. I believe it January 1st or 2nd, first week of January in 2010. So I've been doing radio since 2008. I've had my own, I've had a show since 2008, two years with Jeff and 2000, since 2010, I've had my own show. And I, you know, I guess, like I told you before, I didn't go to college to be a radio host. So I don't, I didn't take any, I didn't work at a college radio station. I didn't, uh, I don't know how to produce a show. All I knew, all I know how to do is talk. And yeah. I think that's always been a skill that I had, you know, being a kid sitting at the cafeteria table, I, I could tell a story sitting at the bar with some friends, I could tell a story. And I really did. You know, I do think I just took that skill and, and, and my passion for sports and, and, and turned it into, you know, being able to, to host a radio show until they get tired of me, of course yeah
0: well you're doing a great job with it
1: yes you are thanks it's a lot of fun you know it's obviously been interesting the past three months because you know i don't think any of us ever imagined hosting a sports talk radio show with no sports yeah like that that, (laughs) you know like nobody's ever been asked to do this before like in the history of sports talk radio so it's been uh challenging maybe not challenging different it's been different you know you 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 learn to talk about I, i do think i was probably better equipped than some to handle it because I don't need sports to, to, to have ideas. I don't need sports to, to create content. I prefer it, but I don't need it, yeah. but it's still um it's, it's, it's different. You know, you're doing different shows and talking about in many cases, particularly over the past three weeks um, you know, after the murder of George Floyd and all of the um, the protests that have happened, you're, you're talking about more serious things, hopefully in a more serious way. Cause I, I really do think um, you know, we're living through a, a moment right now like this is going to i mean clearly this is going to be a year people talk about forever it'll be in the history books but um more more so um right now than ever at least in my lifetime it, it appears that there's real change coming in this country as it pertains to racial inequality and um we're living through that right now and for my purposes i'm talking about it um, you know, for, largely for two hours every day in real time, and that's been, again, different, somewhat challenging, but but enjoyable. I yeah. I, if left up to me, I'd rather talk about things that matter than things that don't.
2: Not to get more lighthearted, but yeah, um, sure. What what would you say? What are your thoughts on sports in the upcoming future? Like, how do you think things will change with sports in general?
1: I I do know that the plan right now, in the NFL, is to have some fans. In college football to have some fans, but, you know, we're we're talking about this, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, The numbers in Memphis, you know, are spiking, you know, or at the very least, they're going the wrong direction. In many states across the country, they're going the wrong direction and they're going the wrong direction, you know, in the summer, which is what some doctors... Said, you know, the summer should slow it down a little bit. Yeah. And then a second wave when it gets colder. Yeah. Well, the summer isn't really slowing it down, at least not in Memphis. We've had the worst numbers we've had over the past couple of days. So what does that suggest is going to happen when it does get colder? And what happens when it gets colder? Well, that's football season and basketball season. So I am hopeful that we are able to have something. Having full stadiums, that's a non-starter. That is not going to happen. And, it, and I'm not even sure that'll happen next year. Yeah. Um you know I, I I you know that'll be heavily reliant on where we're at with treatment and a vaccine but the the idea that you're going to see a college football stadium or an NFL stadium uh filled with fans that's that will not happen I, I don't know why some coaches continue to suggest they think it's possible because it's not it's not going to happen but but some fans does does seem possible, even doctors will tell you some fans seems possible, but I think the struggle. That universities are gonna have is part of going to the a game is is the you know the the atmosphere and the experience oh, yeah. like it needs to be an enjoyable thing, and when you have to space out and you have to wear a mask and you um you know have to social distance at consent is it fun anymore like I that that would be my question how much fun is it so like whoever Memphis plays in the season opener I don't even have the schedule in front of me uh, but like, okay. Well, it's going to be hot, okay? Yeah, so, and, and college football games take four hours. So, you know, I understand, you know, if you love the Tigers, you love the Tigers. But um, it, it, tell me what sounds fun about going into a stadium, sitting six feet away from anybody else, wearing a mask for four hours. Like, why is that fun? Like, I, it wouldn't be fun to me. Like, I would rather just sit at home and watch it on television. And yeah. so I, I do think that's going to be a struggle for – for not just Memphis, but every football program. Like, okay, you can have some fans, but do fans wanna go? I don't know. Restaurants are dealing with the same thing right now. Like you can go to a restaurant and sit down right now if you want to. I don't know if you're gonna be able to do it next week. We'll see where the numbers go, but you can do it right now. And what I'm hearing from some restaurant owners is that people would just prefer to get their food and go home rather than sit in a unfamiliar place, socially distanced from other people with servers wearing masks it's just it's not as enjoyable an experience as it used to be and 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 i I think going to sporting events is is going to be similar until we do get back to normal
0: what are your thoughts on nba returning july 30th
1: i'm looking forward to it you know just i'm an nba fan and so i'm looking forward to you know i used to come home basically every night and i know what i'm not not what i'm going to do but like what's going to be on the television Right. Mm -hmm. So like we might, you know, be in the backyard on the grill, but like, you know, tonight I would have a Mets game on. I'm a Mets fan. Um, You know, uh, tomorrow night, you know, maybe, um, you know, we're just, we're hanging out around the house, but like the, uh, or or I've got some work to do, but on TV, a Mets game is going to be like, there's sports provides a backdrop for my life. I don't sit down every night and say, okay, everybody leave me alone. I'm watching baseball. I'm watching (laughs) basketball you can't when you're a father and a husband, but I do say, okay, Hey, Mets are playing tonight. So I'll, I'll have that on and whatever else I'm doing, that's the background. Well, we we don't have sports as a background now. And that's been, you know, like, and my, my, my sons, we, you know, I know baseball, kids are playing baseball. We just didn't want our sons playing. So we pulled them out of baseball. So like every night I come home and it's like, now what, you know, what, what now? you know are we I, I hey let's go swimming again you know like yeah I, so to have the nba back in late july will alleviate that issue like suddenly um hey what lebron's playing tonight you know the grizzlies are playing tonight um something's ha- there's some something to be there's going to be that background yeah. that focus so i'm looking forward to it i'm 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 interested to see how it goes you know they are creating a bubble and yet they are still planning on having positive COVID-19 tests like they don't nobody is saying they think it's going to go smoothly they're just saying it's going to go yeah. and so to me that's really concerning for college athletics because you know uh university campuses are not that's not a bubble you know like at the NBA you can really isolate everybody from the rest of the world that that's not the way college campuses are going to work and so you're going to have football play- like right now I just saw you know, uh, I can't remember the school But they just had six more positive, maybe it was Texas or Arkansas. They just had six more positive COVID-19 tests with football players. Now think about this. These are football players who are back on campus. They are merely working out together, no contact. And they're still spreading the virus to each other. Now what happens when you bring 20,000 people onto campus everybody's walking around each other on a campus in classrooms together. Then you bring those football players into a locker room. Then they're hitting each other, sweating each other, breathing on each. other. Like I, I'm real concerned with how football season's going to go, how basketball season's going to go. The NBA creating a bubble at least gives it a chance. Um, and I do think it'll, I, I do think we'll crown a champion in 2020. I, I don't know who it'll be, but I think we'll get one. The college football, college basketball stuff is just much more difficult because you're sending, let's just say basketball, 13 players out onto a college campus all day long and then bringing them into a locker room around, in some cases, you know, a 70-year-old coach. Like, how is that going to go well? I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. What are your thoughts about John and Jaron leading this young Grizzlies team?
1: Love them. I mean, you know, the Grizzlies have really gotten fortunate that they, you know, they they hit a good place in the lottery and back-to-back years, and it seems like they got the picks right in back-to-back years. I know some people would maybe prefer to have Trey Young than Jaron Jackson because he was available when they took Jaron. But, like, if you've got Trey Young, how well does that work with John Morant? I'm not sure. I, you'd rather have John Morant than Trey Young. So if you'd rather have ja- John Morant than Trey Young, then you'd rather have Jaron Jackson than, than yeah. Trey Young. So exactly. it's a great combo. They both – and I think this is important. They both come from strong families. They both have their parents here with them. Yeah. They both live in the suburbs. I, I do like I contrast it with what I would be if I were them. Like nineteen <laughs> years old, rich and famous. Like I would have moved downtown, got an apartment by myself, and been in the bars. Like I'd have been a nightmare. And yet these two young guys are really impressive. Um, they both seem like I've never heard a bad word about either one of them. That'd, like, ah, you know, Jaz in the club too much. Or, you hear that about some people. You heard it about Chandler Parsons all the time. <laughs> Even like you know every time I barely go out anymore, but every time I was out I saw, I'd bump into Chandler. Uh, you don't hear that about Ja, you don't hear that about Jaron. and no. when the two p- best players can set the culture for your locker room, even at this young of an age, that's a pretty impressive thing. And beyond that, like they're already winning at an at a age where you don't win. like go back no. and look at Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. that's two future MVPs two future Hall of Famers and when they were the age of John Jaron they were not winning they were not winning John Jaron are going to go to the playoffs and so the future is really really bright like when you start talking about you know franchises going forward you know with the Lakers even if it falls apart they can put it back pretty quickly Um, but like New Orleans with Zion if he stays healthy they look like they're going to be something special but I don't think you could put a list together of top five futures in the NBA and not have the Grizzlies on it because of John Jaron. I would have to agree. I said,
0: thank you for joining us on this episode today of on the proud. We really enjoyed it, but is there anything you'd like to say?
1: No, it's my pleasure. I just appreciate you guys uh, inviting me on and uh, I'm real impressed by, by what you're doing. Like, uh, you know, this type of stuff didn't exist when I was your age. I couldn't just, you know, do a podcast or jump on a zoom call. Right. But this is the way you this is the way you learn how to do what it is you want to do, you know, by doing it, and um and so the idea that you guys are, are self motivated enough to to create this thing and have people on and have conversations, um, it suggests that you're on the right track. So uh, keep doing what you're doing, and obviously, if I can ever help either one of you, just let me know.
0: Thank I you, really appreciate that, you
1: guys. Take care of yourself. Machine. All right,
2: I'm Robert. I'm Raymond Johnson. Love you guys. Peace. Don't forget to
1: join us next time on The Proud.
2: With the boys, yeah, we swoops, yeah, we swoops. And we got them high blocks. and we'll shoot, and we'll shoot. With the Mercedes Benz in the coop, in the coop, and this shit's so fucking hard. It's on loop.